And this morning we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 to 13. Now, as you're turning there, this may, you may be looking at this and be thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. I don't necessarily feel called to be a pastor, and I don't necessarily feel called to be a deacon. And if I am a deacon, I'm already one, so what, what's going on here? Well, I think as we read through this, before we get into it, you see, and I hope you will recognize that so as the, as the relationship of the pastors and deacons go, and as the unity of the pastors and deacons go, so go the churches. And so I believe that this is a way for us, even if we don't feel called to serve in these areas, for you to pray for your pastors and deacons, but also to see how God has set up his church. That's a brilliant way to do it. Let's stand together as we, again, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, going to verse 13. It says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not a violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So we're having a deacons meeting tonight, and you may notice that I have this routine of asking you all on the Sunday before that we meet for our deacons meeting that you pray for us as we partner and strategize well how to care for those of you that are part of our church. That's the main issue that we have, is that making sure that we as pastors and deacons are doing what we can by the grace of God, by the strength of God, to make sure that we are providing care both spiritually and physically, care for all of you to make sure that uh, we're, we're just coming alongside each other linking arms together um, in the faith. As as you read through this, um, we have to just really get right to it and make sure that we understand that there is one C uh, that fuels the three C's of pastors and deacons. The first C is Christ. The first C is Christ. So the the Apostle Paul noticed that when he's in 1 Timothy that he didn't get right to strategy. And more and more I've been, um, been hearing about and reading leadership books and what they end up doing, first of all, is getting right to strategy. This is how you accomplish X. 
But I I don't believe that the Bible does it this way. The Bible eventually gets to this. In chapter 3, it does. But what the Bible wants to make sure that you're doing is getting Christ right first. Christ is the fuel of it all. And when when Christ said in in Matthew 16, I will build my church, right? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ had a plan on how to accomplish certain things in the world, one of which would be the Great Commission. We are called to be disciple makers. I don't know what has happened over the years to where we have lost the thrust of the fact that we're to be disciple makers, right? Because what it seems like so often is that it's all about intake. I want to make sure I get a good sermon in a soft seat in a good a room that's got a good temperature and maybe have some good fellowship, good songs along the way. And it's intake, 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 intake. When in reality, he tells us to go and make disciples. So there's an output that is there that has to happen where we are baptizing one another in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching one another everything that he has commanded us, which is why we go letter by letter, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the word. Because we want to make sure that you are understanding everything that he taught. And he said that he promised that he would be with us. So we're not doing it in our own strength. Even making disciples in our own strength is not what he's called us to do. He promised he would be with us to strengthen us to do what we need to do in order to be disciples who make disciples. Now, when you look at 1 Timothy, how does Paul start this off? Well, you go to the first couple of verses, I, I hope you will. I hope you'll follow along with me, where it says here that Paul, and how does Paul describe himself? He did describe himself as a great guy, a great teacher, and boy, hear my testimony. He'll get to that. But the first place that he goes is this, I am an apostle. I am one that has been sent. That's what that word apostle means. I have been one who has been sent. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. How? By the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope, our living hope that we just sang about. You hear that? And so this is what he is. Paul immediately is identifying himself with Christ. He's nothing without Christ. If you know his testimony, you know for certain that he is nothing without Christ. He's writing to Timothy, and Timothy, it says, my true child in the faith. Thankfully, because of his mother and his grandmother, that he had a foundation that taught him about the scriptures. And so when Paul comes along and leads him to faith and sends him out to be one who is overseeing the church in Ephesus, you hear about Titus later on, he oversees the church at Crete. He is, he is the true child in the faith. So Paul, if using the terminology now, Paul is the mentor, Timothy is the protege. I like this better. Paul is the father in the faith, Timothy is the son. And he goes on to make sure that they realize in verses 3 to 11, we won't get into that right now, but in verses 3 to 11, false teachers are coming along to try to send you astray. Nothing's changed. False teachers are still out there saying some really good things, and not only just from pulpits, YouTube, Facebook, the news. There's all sorts of news that is coming out that says, if you go this way, your life will be better. If you go this way, your life will be more solid. And what we have to realize is, is that they're, they're going to come to nothing because it's untethered to Christ. Verse 12, Paul now goes into his testimony. I thank him who has been given, who's given me strength. Who gave him strength? I'll wait. Thank you. 
Yes, Christ gave him strength. Christ, Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointing me to his service. His service is going and getting the gospel to the Gentiles. Where was he? Well, he says in verse 13, formerly I was a blasphemer, a, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But twice you see here, one in verse 13 and another in verse 16, he uses the same phrase, but I received mercy. It's only by the mercy of Christ that we have any hope at all. Do you understand? It's only by the mercy and the grace that God gives to us. He acted ignorantly in unbelief, but he didn't receive what he deserved. And so in verse 15, and you see this in First and Second Timothy, that there's a number of, the, the, where it says, the saying is trustworthy. The saying is trustworthy. Well, here's the first one. And deserving of all acceptance, verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. So what Paul is trying to establish here is, Paul, Paul recognized that he received mercy so that he would be a conduit of mercy to others. And as he gets into chapter 2, he's talking about prayer. Make sure you're praying for everybody. Make sure that you're taking these requests up to the throne of grace for your leaders, he says in verse 2, for kings and all people who are in high position, not just for those who are part of your political party. Pray for all of your leaders, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on, regardless from what color state that they're in. You pray for them, even if they don't agree with you and you don't agree with them. But he says in verse 3, this is good and is pleasing to the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man who? Christ Jesus. What happened with Christ Jesus? He gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Do you understand what Paul is setting up here? But long before he gets into pastors and deacons and how they need to be operating, he gets into, you need to see the one who is building this to begin with. You need to see the one that is rescuing you from your sin, right? So when Jesus rescued us, I was hearing this about C.S. Lewis, is that when Jesus conquered death, he blew out the back door so that we could walk out. That's what Jesus did on our behalf. And so because of that, Jesus now is setting up something regarding his church, not just to make sure that the infrastructure that we have set up continues to go on. Are you hearing me, church? Not to make sure the infrastructure that we have set up continues to go on so that we can feel comfortable and safe, but to make sure that we understand how he has set things up. That one C fuels the other three C's. What are the other three C's? Well, here's one. The first one that we're going to talk about is the C of courage. You know, it, is, it takes an act of courage in our day to do things Jesus' way. Because we don't any longer have a seat at the cool kids' table. We don't. We used to be called the moral majority but now we're the missional minority, and I give Russ more credit for that. We are the missional minority. We have to be on mission. And just because we're not at the cool kids' table anymore doesn't mean that we have now pulled back and say, well, I don't, I don't want to mess anything up. No, we need to be more leaning in to what he has said on our behalf. Because that's what Jeff Christofferson said. He's a missiologist, lives in Canada, and that's what he said. He said that, um, what, he asked this, what would the church look like if Jesus had his way? And we, we've asked that question numerous times. 
from Jeff. And it's, it's a great way to think about it because how often do we come in, this is what I want. This is how I think things should be. And, and in reality, there's so many books. I told you last week about how many books have been written on worship. How many books have been written on how to run a church? And basically, it's, you're running a church, and, you're, and, and basically, they're taking CEO terms or entrepreneur terms, and they're shoving it at us as if that's what pastors need to be. But do you know what pastors are, have been called in the Bible? Shepherds. We're shepherds. We're shepherds that have their eye on Christ and now have this responsibility of teaching and equipping and shepherding the flock of Jesus. It takes a lot, right? So, but think about the courage that God has called us to do. First of all, let's, let's look at the family. Look at verse 2 where it says this, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. Now the above reproach piece, that's the, that's the umbrella, right? Basically, there's nothing that can be said about you in regards to your conduct or character, right? So that takes courage to make sure that you're not trying to slide and drift into being seen well by everybody else. And I think sometimes we may see that in our churches, is that sometimes we want to we want to be seen well by others, but we compromise what God has called us to do in his word, and we've got to be really, really careful about that. But the first thing he talks about, again, he doesn't talk about strategy in the church. What does he talk about? He talks about your home. He goes right into it. Husband of one wife. Verse 4, he gets into this. He must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive, not being a tyrant, by the way. There's lots of ways to do that, but not being a tyrant, right? Because it talks about that in Ephesians 6, where you're looking at how, you know, don't frustrate your kids, but raise them and teach them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But it keeps going in verse 5, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So there has to be an examination of, okay, what's the marriage like? Well, that's personal. Really? Not, not according to this. What's the marriage like? What's the relationship that your children have with Christ? It doesn't mean your children are always going to be Christians, but you need to be doing your part to set them up because it, just because we do something doesn't mean our children are going to be um, are going to be followers of Jesus. Oh, by the way, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they should go. When they are old, they will not depart from it. That is not A, then B, meaning just because A happens, that doesn't mean that B is going to happen. That is something that is a general understanding. You, though, he's talking about you need to make sure that you plant the seeds and they will hold on to that. We pray they will come to Jesus because otherwise, I know there's been too many families that have been buried by that. They're like, well, I've done everything. I've, take, I've done family worship. I've taken them to church. I've done everything, 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 everything. Well, then God, why are they doing this? And the fact is, is that everybody has their own heart that they have to deal with before God. There, there, there's, there, there's not that switch. I'll talk about that a little bit later because could, we could really go on about that. I know some of you are really burdened by that. I want to try to take that off of you a bit. But you look at this, you got to understand what the household is and how, how hard is it now to try to raise your family in a godly method without the world coming in and saying, 
that you're dangerous. All right, then you get to verse then you get to the, uh, the deacon part where it talks about that, the same thing as well. You know, their wives, like wives, must be dignified. It means, you know, respectable, not have a lot of things come at them, living in a manner worthy of the gospel, not slanderers. And that's for the men as well, because it's going to talk about the, the need for the men to make sure that they're not being double-tongued, right? So this is what bothers me sometimes, is that it's really easy to gossip, isn't it? And the reason that we gossip is it makes us feel better about ourselves, right? We're gossiping about somebody else because they're having a hard time, and we're like, well, I'm glad I'm not having that kind of hard time, so I'm going to talk about it. And there's something about it that just, we like it, and we got to fight it. And yet on the other side, we have a hard time using words, those types of words to gossip the gospel, right? We don't have a shortage of words. We we are just making choices about how we're going to use those words, And so when he's talking about this, he's saying, look, not dignified, not slanderers. Again, double-tongued back in verse 8 for for deacons, making sure that you're being self-controlled in in verse 2 and 3 when you're talking to the pastors. Um, Sober-minded, faithful in all things. That's why when deacons are ordained, I bring the wives up too. Well, the wives aren't going to be deacons. Do you see what's said here? Do you see how important that partner, you're talking about a partnership of pastor and deacon. I'll give you a partnership that's more important. Husband and wife, way more important. And so when that, when that is set and you've got the priorities straight in the family, you are now going to be having to deal with what others are saying about you. But this is where we have to realize. And also the behavior inside and outside the church. I mean, look at some of the behavior here. I mean, we could spend a lot of time on each one of these. But go back to verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. Husband of one wife, sober-minded, clear thinking. Don't let anything or anyone cloud your thinking in living for Christ. That's why Proverbs 30, verses 4 and 5, it says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. So that's why there's this thing when we have leaders there here, uh, we ask you to abstain. From alcohol. And one of the reasons that we do that is because of a passage that's like this. It's a passage that's like this because you don't want to forget God's word. And you certainly don't want to forget about the rights of those that are struggling. And sometimes that can happen. Read all through Proverbs about the dangers of that. And so that's one of the things is that, but there's, it separates it later on. It talks about not being a drunkard. So there's more than one way to be unsober. Make sure that you're doing everything you can, putting things in place to make sure that you're thinking clearly. Self-controlled, that is in general, but also self-controlled sexually. Be careful what you're watching. Be careful what you're watching on TV. Be careful what you're watching in the movies. There's some movies that are coming out that have, they have a great storyline, but they also have some scenes in it that, you know, you can watch it just for a few seconds. And man, I'm, I'm especially talking to you. You can just see that image for just two or three seconds and it'll be with you for a lifetime. And that, that's where we've got to be really careful what we're watching and what we're putting our money into. That, but that you, you're restrained by the Spirit. You know, you're respectable. You get the idea there. Um, and then it goes on, but violent, not gentle. You know it takes courage to restrain yourself because you can get upset about something. 
and let your, let your actions go, let your mouth go, let your mind go. And you can just, because you feel like maybe it's your constitutional right. There, there have been people that I've served with over the years um, in, in, in many places where it's been like, it's my constitutional right to say whatever's on my mind. And my response is, no, it's not. Maybe you may be your constitutional right, but it's not your spiritual right. We have a responsibility on how we use our words and our actions and, and what kind of devastation it can bring. So if, if I'm as a pastor, I'm up here and I'm preaching about love and the grace and the, and the, and the wonderful things of God and my actions and my, my, my vocabulary to my wife or my neighbors or we get into a meeting that doesn't go my way and all of a sudden here I'm just letting go. What's my constitutional right? No, I've lost something. I've lost the respect I've lost those things, and that's what, and, and that can happen for all of us. We have to make sure. Oh, by the way, you're, you may be thinking, well, this is just for you, pastors and deacons. I forgot to mention something at the beginning. Except for the ability to teach, every one of these qualifications are qualifications and attributes that a Christian should have. That's what makes this so amazing is because these qualifications are so ordinary. You see? So you look at this. But also, you're, you're operating by certain convictions as well. That, that's the second C. And we'll, we'll get down to it. Conviction. That's your second C. So what do we mean? Both pastors and deacons don't do this just because they're bored or because they want a job. Every so often, I, I see we, we were having people that were sending in their resumes for this um, regional director for our association. Well, why do you want to do this? Well, I need a job. Why do you want to do this? I need a job. Why do you want to do this? I need a job. Well, thank you for your time. I was on the search team. Thank you for your time. You don't want a pastor that's doing this because he needs a job. Because if there is not that thrust of a calling that's backing what he's doing, he will not last. Because there's too many things that can affect a heart and a mind and a soul. There's, there's so many things. That, there's so many joys in pastoring, but there's also a lot of sorrows in pastoring. When you see people that were faithful and all of a sudden now they're not, you see people that are faithful and sometimes they, they, they let go with their actions and, and it's really hurtful sometimes when you, you see some of the reactions of, of people when they've been on the receiving end of that. Sometimes you just set your own expectations of how things should be and they're not met. So, and if you don't realize that God is the one that called you and he's the one that's given you this assignment, deacons, if, if you don't sense it's a calling, but you're like, well, I need something to do during the day, don't. That's why it's called a vocation, vocal, calling. God is calling you to this. You have to do this. That's where it is. So if you aspire to the office of an overseer, verse one, you desire a noble task. Doesn't mean you should do it. But it's a good desire to be able to help teach and equip and shepherd the people. And deacons, where it says that in verse 8, likewise. So everything, with the exception of ability to teach, everything that's mentioned of a pastor also is, a, is applicable to a deacon. Ben Merkel, he said this of pastors, leaders, especially pastors or elders, are not merely responsible for serving and, 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 and leading an organization, but they have the critical role of shepherding, teaching, and equipping the congregation. Which to be said, we don't have this model here, but th- which to be said, that is a large responsibility, which I understand why certain churches have a plurality. They have more than one pastor doing that. Because when you think about teaching and shepherding and equipping, and one person doing that. 
that's a lot. And you're not going to be able to cover everything. Now, we don't have that model. That's fine. But I can see why others do because of that. And so we need to come alongside and find people that have that ability and to be able to help pour into them in that remarkable, remarkable way. Hebrews 13, 7, where it talks about remember your leaders, those that gave you the word. That's what a leader is. And that takes conviction to be able to do that. By us just standing up here and opening up the Bible and preaching this to you as if it's true. There's power in that. Sunday school teachers, when you open up your Bible, not just your quarterly, right? Quarterly's not the Bible. Quarterly helps you understand the Bible. But when you open up your Bible and you... You don't, and you don't even have to say, now I believe this is true. This is true and I believe it because it's true. It's God's word. You don't even have to. If you are s- simply saying and, and teaching out of it as if it's true, wow, there's something powerful about that. And so that's where it, we're coming in with this understanding. When it talks about how God has called some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To equip you, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the growing up and the building up of the body of the believers. So we're called to equip. We're called to teach. We're called to shepherd, which means you're called to be taught. Well, I've already got it all figured out. No, you don't. By saying that, you just proved you didn't. Well, I, I need to be equipped. I I equipped you. Well, I don't need to be equipped. You know, can't somebody else do that that has that gifting? Well, we're going to find out all of you have a gifting that God's called you to roll up your sleeves and get after it. But shepherding. You know, this word overseer is interesting because you don't see the word pastor too terribly much in the New Testament. You see it once, and you see it once in uh, 1 Peter, where it talks about shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Pastor, poyman, shepherd. But the other words, overseer. Now, that word overseer, it comes from the word episkopos. Well, that doesn't sound Baptist. That sounds Episcopalian. I don't want to do that. But okay, so we say overseer, which means basically to give spiritual oversight as opposed to the deacons that are giving the physical oversight, helping to make sure that the avenues are clear so that the word of God can go through. You also may see elder, and that refers to maturity, right? That's why sometimes people have a hard time um, hiring on young pastors, because they believe young equals immature. But you know, you can be old and immature, can't you? Amen. You can be young. You can be young and very mature. That's why, that's why Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example in life, in love, in faith, in speech, in purity. So people were getting all over Timothy. You know how old Timothy was? Probably 35. Now, for some of you, 35, boy, that's young. For some of you, 35, man, that's old. Right? There was always, when I was in my 40s, I've spent the majority of my time here. I'll be 52 in a little bit. But I spent the majority of my time here in my 40s. And the 40s were interesting because you're too old for the young people and you're too young for the old people. And so, you know, and I remember Wanda Burns. Some of you may remember Wanda Burns. And I was talking about this in my 40s. And she's like, oh, you poor person. You know, because, you know, because she was 90. Because she loved to be back in her 40s. Now she's with the Lord. And she's better off than the whole lot of us combined. But, uh, but the idea behind this is elder, 
overseer. Those are biblical terms that we don't really need to shy away from. Even if we don't like the terms, we need to see that this is what is being talked about. What's a deacon? I should have brought that up a long time ago, but this is good for us to end on. A deacon is one who's ready to serve. Let me say that again. A deacon is one who's ready to serve. Deacons don't become all of a sudden, they're not serving, they're not serving. They may, have, they may do great in, in, the, in the regular world, and they may do great over here, and they got all of these gifts that will be able to move and shake and run everybody. But if they're not already serving, they shouldn't be coming on as deacons because it's not like that's going to change. What we're doing is we are now confirming the behavior. And so we need to see ones who are already doing it. And that's where it is. A deacon is not just an office. A deacon is a life. It's an it's a, it's, it's a attitude. So what, what do we do with all of this? And I haven't gotten to the care part yet, but let me just say this real quick. Care. You see the word there, hospitable. That means that you're open. That's the third C. That means you are open to people that are outsiders of our little group, strangers, those that may not even be a part of our country that we are to be hospitable we don't profile we we may we may have that tendency based upon things that may have happened in our regular lives and in the world but we don't profile you know why who are image bearers of god just the rich just the republicans just the americans just people from texas who are image bearers of God? Some of you are like, yeah. No, I know you're kidding. I got it. But who are, who are image bearers of God? So everybody that, that is a human being lives and breathes, they are image bearers of God. So that hospitality goes out to them. Now, some of you, you may have taken your spiritual gifts test. i really low on the hospitality realm. That doesn't excuse you from being hospitable. And for those of us who are pastors and those of us who are deacons, man, when someone walks through the door that we don't know, we're, we're just slobbering all over ourselves. Yes. Th- I'm so glad that God brought you here. And I hope I was clear that I'm being figurative and not literal, right? We're so glad you're here. Whoever you may be, whatever age you may be, wherever you may have come from, whatever your, the, your lot in life right now, man, we're not going to pick and choose. We are just so thankful that God brought you our way. How can we come alongside you? How can we help? I brought all this up as we close just real quick. I I brought all this up is because we're going to be presenting some deacons to you in a little bit. If you've been a part of our church, you know that this is the the ebb and flow. And what we normally do is we have three. We have some that roll off after they serve for three years. They roll off for a year and they're put back up. And one of the things when they're put back up is you see one thing that's listed there is that they're tested. So we talk to them, not, about, not only about their doctrinal stances, but about how their personal life's going, has, has, how, how are things going with you overall. And we do that even if they've been serving for 20 years and they roll off. When they come back on, we're going to still have that conversation with them. We don't want to take anything for granted. Things change. But what we want you to know is we are on top of it. We want you to know that when it comes to being a pastor and a deacon, we want to be held accountable to you based upon Scripture, not your preferences. Sometimes that's a little different, but Scripture. And to be grateful that God has provided the spiritual oversight and the physical oversight as we work well, hopefully, 
look to work well, to be able to help you in everything. But let's circle all the way back around for one quick thing. Why? Paul said at the very beginning that this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He set this whole thing up, not just so that we could have a place to worship and sing and feel good about ourselves and feel good about each other. He set all of this up so that we could be launched out into the world to be a mechanism of rescue for those that are in, that are in brokenness and in need of rescue, and God uses us as a conduit. It's not just intake, intake, intake. It's output. We're going. We're making disciples. We're pouring ourselves into other people. And that's what we as deacons and pastors are called to do to help equip you to do just that. My hope is you're all in. That you're ready. Some of you inside, you may be saying, I don't want to do that. You may have missed what God's called you to do. You may have missed what it means to be a Christian. It's not just about you. It's about glorifying him, entering his gates with thanksgiving, entering his courts with praise. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and maybe he's working in you right now. If any of you know that you need to repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, may this be the morning, because this is what he's called us to. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. Father, as we get ready to sing this song, Nothing But the Blood, the steps that your son took On our behalf, we are so thankful for it. And Father, we thank you that the death that we deserve to die, he died on our behalf. And the life that he now lives, we can live. And Father, I pray that when we sing this song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, what can wash away my sin? May we realize that there is sin that is separating us, that needs to be washed away both in our actions and in our attitudes and our behavior, our words. Lord, there's so many things that stand against us. But we, we, we thank you, Father, that we can come along and re- be reminded that you didn't treat us like we deserve. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I thank you, Lord, that he saved us who are followers. And if those that aren't followers of you, Father, may this be the morning. Show them your glory. Show them your mercy. Give them strength to receive it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're getting ready to sing a, a closing song. And again, I'm so thankful for Chad and Stacy to come and, and lead us in this. I think most of you may know this song, but if you don't, I hope that when the words are up there that you absorb what they're saying. Jesus Christ died so that we might live. He took our sin so that we wouldn't have to pay for it. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood. Let's stand together and commit our lives to him this morning. What can wash away?